<laughs> Welcome to It's All Relatives Read Aloud Book Club. Uh, I'm Carol Matthews Nicoli with Laura Matthews, two generations discussing a book we both love about yet another generation of the 1950s. The book is Double Date by Rosamund Dujardin, mm -hmm. the first of four in the Penny and Pam series. In each season, we're recording a chapter out loud and then discussing it. After the live reading in Clubhouse, we'll stop recording and open the room for Q&A. So let's get started with today's chapter. Which is chapter two. I'm Laura, hi. On the previous chapter, we met Penny and Pam, twin sisters who are starting their first day of senior year high school at a new high school in the Chicago suburbs in 1950. We also met Randy and Mike, two gorgeous hunks who both seem attracted to Pam. Penny is the shy one of the twins and feels awkward all the time in comparison to Pam. Will she ever figure it out? That's what this book is about. All right. Chapter two. Carbon copy. Carbon copy. When Richard Howard was killed in his skidding car on the icy stretch of road, his wife, Celia, had to pick up the broken pieces of her life and weld them together as best as she could. She loved Rick deeply, but she was a valiant, forward-looking person. And there were her 10-year-old daughters to consider and all the responsibilities attendant on their upbringing. It had been necessary for Celia to get a job so that Rick's modest insurance might be kept as a backlog of security. So Celia's widowed mother, whom the twins called Graham, came up from the small Indiana town to live with them in the Chicago apartment and take care of Pam and Penny. Graham didn't like the city too well, but she made the best of it. She was a brisk, energetic woman with a sense of humor that was dry and unfailing. Graham's hair was white and her figure comfortably cushioned, but not fat. Her bright blue eyes this much that was going on. She was aware that times have changed since she was a girl, but unlike many grandmothers, she felt that some of the changes might possibly be for the better. She and the twins were fond of each other. They got along fine. And even when Penny and Pam reached their teens, they found Gran understanding and not too hopelessly old-fashioned. It would have been wonderful if mother could stay at home all the time, but since she couldn't, Gran made a pretty good substitute. Celia herself regretted that her job left her so little time to spend with the girls. This was especially true as they grew up and Gran confessed privately that she felt her age was against her in coping with a couple of modern teenagers. It wasn't too much for me, Gran admitted to Celia, when their problems were mainly skinned knees and school grades and checking up on whether they'd wash behind their ears. But now that boys and lipstick and how late to stay out mm -hmm. on dates are, a, are the vital issues, well, I don't know, Seal, whether I'm up to handling them or not. She sighed, adding, and this business lately of Pam being more popular than Penny. That's just a little bit ticklish. I know, Celia said, laying an affectionate hand on her mother's shoulder. But it would be ticklish for anyone. Twins are a problem sometimes. And raising you know, the city of that Carver, classic That classic turn of phrase, it would be ticklish for anyone. <laughs> ticklish for anyone. And raising them in a city apartment isn't the best setup either. I'm going to talk at length about this city apartment concept. But you handle things as well as anyone could. I only wish I could be around more to help you, dot, dot, dot. Celia oh. had a dream shared only with the twins and Gran of opening an interior decorating shop of her own, somewhere in the suburbs, perhaps, where they could live close by and she could arrange her working hours according to a more elastic schedule. But the wow. idea remains... <laughs> That's the dream of the suburbs. <laughs> 
d- d- uh, more to come on that concept. But the idea remained nothing more than a wistful daydream for quite a long time. Then one early spring night, we have no idea what Celia actually does between then and now, like what's her job? Then one early spring night, Celia came home from work practically popping with excitement. She was a slim, pretty woman whose light brown hair showed only a touch of gray and whose blue eyes were bright and direct like Grand's. They were even brighter than usual now. And scarcely did Celia have her hat and coat off than she was demanding, what are we having for dinner? Can it possibly wait? Because we've just got to have a family conference. Yeah. Oh. Why couldn't they do it over dinner? That's my question. Anyway. That, that's the in-plate. You so, with no food in mouth. To, um, and cooking. Counsel. Too much counsel. cooking. Oh, okay. Casserole, Grand said. I'll turn off the oven right away and it'll all it'll be all right anytime. Oh, Penny had been on her homework, curled up on the couch, surrounded by books. Pam had been lying in front of the record player, dreamily listening to Perry Como. Oh my god. Now she switched him off in mid-song. And both she and Penny regarded their mother expectantly. Family conferences weren't usually called so decisively unless some vital matter was at stake. As soon okay, as Grant after this. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to listen to a little bit of Perry Camo so I know what you responded to. <laughs> Just be my guest, baby. <laughs> he's all yours. Uh, a resounding <laughs> recommendation. He's a, it's a, he's the, the crooner. They're, they were known as the crooners before rock and roll hits oh. the airwaves. The crooners, kind of the Frank Sinatra, you know, like Bing Crosby. Perry Como was one of them. Gotcha. Gotcha. As soon as Gran had bustled back from the kitchen, Celia began to speak. She didn't sit down, although her feet were usually pretty tired by evening, and she clasped her hands together in an entreating sort of way. She said solemnly, now we must consider this question rationally. It's not a thing to to decide without thought. I want us all to be happy over whatever decision we come to and convinced absolutely that it's the right thing to do. All of them stared at her, surprised at her unusual seriousness. You going to tell us what it is? Then Penny's eyes slipped away to meet Pam's and an outspoken question flashed between them. Could mother want to remarry? It was not too remote a possibility. There was Harry Morton at the door where she worked. He had taken mother out quite a bit and sent her roses on her birthday. Neither of the twins thought much of Harry Morton with his thin hair and thick waistline. Surely mother wouldn't get this excited over a proposal from him. Penny felt her breath puff out and a little sigh of relief as mother continued. I was way out in the suburbs today in a town called Glenhurst. It was the final checkup on that courier job we've been so busy with at the store. And as I walked back to the train, I just happened to see this house. As mother's voice went on, warmly intent and enthusiastic, Penny seemed to see it too. Drab and gray with the ravages of time, a square old house of two stories set rather close to the street. And yet, according to mother, run down and neglected and practically overgrown with rank shrubbery, though it was, there was still oh. a square sol- solidity about it that indicated strong foundations of fine workmanship. This is a, a metaphor for the United States. Oh, at the time after, after the war, after the war, a for sale sign was half hidden in the weeds. Mother explained, all weathered as though it had been there a long time. At first, I couldn't understand why no one had seen the house's wonderful possibilities for remodeling, and then it struck me: the trouble was the location. It's right in the business section, really. There's a post office and stores in the same block. That would be a big disadvantage if a person were merely looking for a place to live. But, well, Mother chuckled suddenly in an enchanting way she had, like a child who had been caught in mischief. I had half an hour to kill till train time, so I couldn't resist stopping at the real estate office to ask a few questions. That, she informed them, was when I met Mr. Hancock, 
Mr. Lucius Hancock, quite the most terrific salesman I ever encountered in my life. High pressure, Grant asked. Low pressure. That's very funny. (laughs) (laughs) Most impressive salesman, Grant's like, high pressure? She's like, nah, low pressure. Low pressure, mother corrected. No one ever, no one ever undersold anything so completely. First of all, I asked the price and it was quite reasonable. But as soon as I mentioned the fact that I thought it would make a good location for an interior decorating business, he drew his beetling, beetling, beetling brows. What's a beetling brow? Beetling brows together and began pointing out drawbacks to me so fast it made my head spin. It doesn't sound like, like a real estate man, Pam said. Darlings, mother told them all. He doesn't look like one either. He's quite old and he has beautiful, thick, snow white hair and these rather overwhelming eyebrows. She broke off, obviously struck by a sudden thought. He looks like Santa Claus, only without the whiskers. And if you could imagine Santa in slacks and a jacket and quite a dazzling sports suit shirt. (laughs) Pam and Penny giggled at the picture thus summoned up, but mother informed them, he's rather a deer when you get used to him. Anyway, she went on. We argued for a while, and then I realized he thought I meant the house should be torn down and a business building erected to be used for a decorating shop. When I finally made it clear to him that I was talking, what I was talking about was a shop on the first floor of the old house and living quarters above, well, he turned very cooperative. He'd been against the idea at first because he couldn't bear the thought of the house being demolished. He says the place is a sort of landmark in the town, and there are all too few of them left. Oh. Of course, I didn't commit myself. I wouldn't without discussing the idea with all of you and having you see the place and give your opinions. Celia's shining eyes swept from Grand to Pam to Penny, and she said, I think you'll all love the town, and the house could be fixed up without a lot of money. Mr. Hancock and I looked it over carefully. I was an hour late getting back to the store. But if we could work it out and swing the mortgage and repairs without using all of Rick's insurance, well, it's exactly the sort of setup I've dreamed of. I'd be right there in the house with you from morning till night, except when I'm on on jobs. I could see so much more of you and be of more help. The idea appealed to the twins as much as it did to Grant. All of them caught fire from Steely's enthusiasm. Aww. They went They went out to Glenhurst, Glenhurst the following Sunday, saw the house, fell in love with it, met Mr. Hancock, and were charmed with his friendliness and his desire to help. Not, of course, that they rushed ahead blindly. <laughs> no impulsiveness here. It's all smarts. Celia mm-hmm. talked over her plans with friends in the same business, checked with wholesale uh, yes. furniture dealers, all sorts of sources of supply. Finally, there seemed no further reason for delay so the house was bought. Celia gave up her job and the four of them moved to Glenhurst. I'm not going to lie. That that like those two to three sentences right there are like very good business advice. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, do make sure to talk with all your friends in the same business. Check the wholesale <laughs> deals. <laughs> And it like, is. know your sources of supply and their various timelines. <laughs> well, okay. And I'm, as I'm going to address, this is, it's like they're really trying to build into this story that this was the best possible decision they could have made. And it was certainly not for any reasons like white flight from the big city. We'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> Uh-oh. There was stuff going on in Chicago at this very moment. Uh-oh. Right. Okay. The house had been painted and its crumbling fieldstone chimney repaired before they moved into it, but much work remained to be done on the interior. Celia had a man highly recommended by Lucius Hancock to the papering and painting, but she and the twins and even Gran were endlessly busy polishing and cleaning and furbishing, making the upper rooms bloom into livability, the lower ones take on the aspects of a smart decorator shop. Celia was so clever, so original. She had such a way of combining furniture and fabrics effectively. People began coming to Howard House long before the family was truly settled or the shop finally arranged. 
I think it's going to work out, Celia told Gran. It'll take time, of course, to get firmly established. I don't mean it'll be easy. I love, but I love all the, the, what's the word I want? What's that word for when you're hedging your bets? Yeah, kind of, kind of like that. All the, all the, all the rationales and all. There's a word I'm missing it. Anyway, I love that they're doing that though. Yeah. Um, it's going to bug me now. I can't remember the word. Anyway, but I have a hundred qualifiers. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put it in the notes on the podcast. Uh, I, there's no notes in this one. It's going to be notes. We did be- another one. Our fair viewers, we did listeners, we did another one and we had way too many notes. Oh, but I, have oh, I didn't realize it was traumatizing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it was decently traumatizing. We'll publish but, that too. It'll happen. It'll happen. But I have a hunch we didn't make any mistake when we came to Glenhurst. Gosh, the words bugging me. Celia often had hunches and sometimes they worked out. The twins of Grand Hope, this was one of her more successful ones because all of them like uh, right. typo. Because all of them liked Glenhurst and wanted to stay there forever. <laughs> One day in their bedroom, Pam told Penny, I can't wait till school starts. Can you? I can't wait till we have a whole new crowd of friends and all sorts of different places to go and things to do. I can't wait. Penny felt a surge of the same impatience that was nipping at Pam. But aloud, she said calmly, I can wait. <laughs> Pam jumped up and swung around the room in a slow, dreamy waltz. Her eyes closed, her face lifted to an imaginary partner. We don't even know what the names of their dances at Glen High will be or who will take us or anything. Penny said, so long as somebody takes us. She said it in a joking sort of way, but there was a grain of seriousness underneath, sharp and troubling as a cinder in your eye. <laughs> oh my God. Whoa. Whoa. Penny was never quite sure of being asked to dances unless Pam fixed it up for her. Unless Pam said airily to her date, bring along someone nice for Penny, will you? It'll be more fun double dating. Double dating. Pam was very generous. Pam was very generous about that sort of thing. Still, Penny would have liked it better for some boy to ask her for a date, totally irrespective of her sister. But Pam said confidently, we'll get asked, never fear. Pam had every reason for confidence, Penny thought, a feeling of hope lifting her spirits. No, no, sorry, I read that wrong. Pam had every reason for confidence. Penny thought, a feeling of hope lifting her spirits, maybe it'll be different out here in Glenhurst. Maybe someone will pay some attention to me as an individual, not just put up with me because I'm Pam's sister. Maybe there'll be a boy who'll like me personally. Oh, She hadn't so gone so far as to imagine just how he'd look. If she had, Penny thought, riding home from school in the backseat of Randy's Kirkpatrick's green convertible, he might well have been a reasonable facsimile of Mike Bradley. But was Mike paying any attention to her? Was she dazzling him with her charms? Would he by any stretch of the imagination ask her for a date rather than Pam? The answer to all these questions Penny knew was a flat no. For Mike Bradley was leaning forward to listen to Pam. He was giving her the greater share of his attention just as Randy Kirkpatrick in the front seat was. It was always like this, Penny thought desolately. It always would be. She stopped trying to think of something to say, something witty and arresting that would catch Mike's wandering attention. She wrapped herself in her familiar shell of not caring, or at least of pretending not to care. Someday, sometimes she pretended so well, she had herself fooled. But not today, not quite. Penny's throat ached with the knowledge that things weren't going to be different for her at Glen High after all. It was going to be the same old routine of following after Pam, of trying to keep up with her and imitate her winning ways. Just call me carbon copy, Penny thought, her lips twisting a little in a wry smile. But no one was looking at her. 
so no one noticed. Oh. The end of chapter oh. two. Oh. Penny. Oh.